that story. So make sure and come back uh, for that amazing uh, story that we're going to get to look at. Also, our last kind of like normal RUF. And then uh, next, the week after that, we're going to, uh, like Jeb was saying, uh, have an opportunity for a few of you to share about how God's been at work in your life and, you know, for us to be able to hear uh, just some stories from each other and also celebrate people that might be moving on from us and uh, celebrate a, a good year together and kind of unwind. So uh, make sure and be here the next two weeks for all that awesome stuff. Um, you know, if you've been around RUF this semester, you know that we've looked at this first book of the Bible and what we've seen, what's going on now is that God is beginning to actually like save the world. And it's in this amazing way. You know, the world was created and it was good and it fell apart and things were really awful. And now God is embarking on this like, you know, thousands year kind of salvation story that starts with Abraham. And last week we looked at God calling this man who had no reason, there was no like logical reason for God to call this man Abram, except that God wanted to use him. And so God called him. And tonight we're going to look a little more in depth into the way that God uses Abram. So uh, let me read our text for us now. Let me drink some water now. Um, Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a family member of my household will be my heir. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep, sun, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land 
of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff here, so let's pray that God would guide us. Uh, Father, we need you to make sense of this text for us, not just because it's from a different cultural context and some of it is difficult to understand, but because uh, we always need you, Lord. Uh, we need you to change our hearts because if you're not at work in them, uh, we will not change. And so we ask that you would guide us tonight. Give us your spirit. We, play, we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, I went on a cross-country skiing trip, which I had never done before. And the, fa- the guy that Hannah lives with, a family, and the guy who Hannah lives with, he kind of heads up this trip for our church every year. Uh, we cross-country skied up a mountain, which I didn't realize you could do. And I, you know, I had grown up like downhill skiing, but I had never cross-country skied in my life. And so we went up to this hut and spent the night, and, and then we skied down, and it was really, really hard, especially for me, because I hadn't done it. And has anybody cross-country skied here before? One person, awesome. And like one of the things that's hard is like your heel is not clipped in like it is in normal downhill skis. And so like there were many periods of time where I was like, I'm gonna like break my knee. Like, I fell a few times. Uh, I was, you know, like, this isn't going to end well, but it did. Like, I made it. I did, like, I made it through. And it was, like, a really good feeling to make it through that experience and be like, you know, I, I took on this mountain and I conquered it. But at the same time, I don't want to do that again. Like, I have, there's not really any part of me that wants to do, like, I made it, and I know, like, that it was good for me. Like, it, I pushed myself, and I overcame adversity, but I don't want to do it again. Uh, this is a passage that's kind of like that experience, because God, we saw last week, he called Abram, and he said, like, come, be mine, follow me. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone. I'm going to take you away from your security, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And meanwhile, there's this lingering, like, you don't have a child. How can you be a great nation? How can I bless the whole world through your family if you don't have a child? And uh, in the chapter just before this, Abram has actually like been to war. Like his nephew has been captured, and he's had to go with like his family and fight off these guys to rescue his nephew. And uh, so at the beginning of this passage, it's interesting because God, the first thing he says is, "Fear not, Abram." Uh, why? You know, why does he say that? The reason he says that is because Abram's like me after that, cross, that skiing trip. He's wondering, like, okay, I made it this far, but, like, how can I really go any further? Like, how long can I maintain this? Uh, as we, you know, as you consider faith and as you consider following God, maybe you've had a thought kind of like that. Like, you know, is following God just going to be one battle after the next? Like, Am I really going to be able to keep this up a year from now, 10 years from now? Like, will I be able to endure if it's going to be this challenging, if it's going to be this hard? Um, you know, and as you follow Jesus, a lot of times, like, we have these, like, mountaintop experiences where you're like, yes, I believe. I will always believe. Uh, but then, you know, there's also these, like, valley experiences where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And a lot of times what's hard is like, you know, 
I, you know, the mountaintop experience of trusting God is great, but it's like, am I going to have to go through another valley now to get to another one of those? Um, you know, can I do this? In other words, how do we persevere? Like, how can I maintain following God? How can I maintain the Christian life? And to answer that, we are going to look at the question of who is God that we see in this passage. You know, what does this passage show us about God? And this is a question that's pertinent if you, you know, have trusted Jesus for a long time and are trying to follow him, or if you are new to thinking about Christianity and maybe you're thinking, like, well, one of the hard things would be, like, actually following through on this commitment. And so as we look at the question, who is God, we're going to look at it under three headings. We're going to look at the God who makes really big promises. We're going to look at the God who can handle doubt. And we're going to look at the God who always comes through. So first I want to look at the God who makes really big promises. And uh, we see that in the beginning of this passage when he says, I am your shield. What an amazing thing for God to say, right? I am your shield. And it's pertinent because Abram's actually literally coming back from like a battle. And he says, God is your shield. I wonder, how does that sound to you? How does it sound to you if God would say, I'm your shield? Another way to ask that would be like, well, what, what battle are you currently fighting where you might need God himself to step in and say, I will be your shield. I'll protect you. It's a really big promise, right? And the really big promises just keep on coming in this passage. uh, Because the next one he says is, is your your reward will be very great. And if you had another version of the Bible, like the NIV, it might say, I am your great reward. And the reason there's some differences in translation is because it's kind of ambiguous to the point where it's like, it's really saying both. It's saying your reward will be great. I am your great reward. Uh, It's like he's saying, you know, if all you come out with is me, it will be so worth it. Like, there will be nothing better. Your reward would be so great, but if all you had was me, it would be worth it. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who is from South Windsor, Connecticut, one of the greatest figures in American Christianity, grew up right down the road, uh, great preacher, he, one of the things he said was that Christians are people that are attracted to God for his sake. So a lot of us, we come to God, kind of we're attracted to the idea of God because it's like, well, what can God give me? You know, what are the benefits of having God? And he says, you know, you've, become, you've come to be a Christian when you're attracted to God just to get God. Uh, God here is saying, I'm worth it. He's, and he goes on to make another huge promise. So he said, you know, I will be your shield I am worth it. And he says, the outcome will be better than you can ever imagine. He says, count the stars. You know, in a world where offspring is everything, God tells Abram, look up and see if you can count the stars. And he says, you you will have more descendants than that. It's like he's saying, stick with me, and I promise you the end of the story will be better than you can ever imagine imagine. Now, these are huge promises, right? I wonder, how do they strike you tonight? I I would imagine some of you are thinking like, oh, this is really great. Like, I really need to be encouraged and hear that God promises these great things for me. But others of you may be kind of being like, well, this feels kind of irrelevant to my situation, right? 
like, you know, Abram lived 4,000 years ago, and I'm like trying to get through calc. You know, maybe some of you are thinking like, well, that all sounds great, but isn't that just too good to be true? Like, is this, isn't this just kind of like fairy tale type of stuff? And this is where we need to see that, and this is really important, that God is not just the God who makes big promises, but he's the God who can handle doubt. Because look how Abram reacts in this passage. You know, his reaction is kind of this mixture of faith and doubt, right? In verse 2 and 3, he's like, I don't, <laughs> oh Lord, what will you give me for I can, you know, continue childless in my heir is this guy who's not actually my child, right? So his first response is one of doubt, and God's kind of gentle with him, right? And God, God doesn't like slam him for doubting, but he kind of tells him like, you know, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then in verse 6, it says Abram believed, right? So he shows some belief, but then in verse 8 again, there's more doubt. Look at verse 8. How am I to know? And what you need to see is God is like that. God is not a robot. Do you know that there's a God who's personal who can handle your doubt? Do you know that there's a God who's personal, who gets what it's like? Do you know that he gets what it's like to be a college student struggling, not knowing what the heck the future holds for you, and you know, struggling to believe and finding it very hard to believe? Do you know that he's like that? Do you know that he gets you? That's the God that this story is portraying. And I want to just give a caveat because there's really two types of doubt that we see in the Bible. And the first type is scoffing. You know what I mean when I say scoffing? That's like the kind of doubt that doesn't really engage and just says, like, yeah, whatever. And that's not, you know, so a lot of times people say, like, oh, yeah, God loves him. God, you know, that's not the kind of doubt that God will engage with. But um, what God does want is he wants you to engage your doubt with him. He says, pray your doubt to me. You know, one of the best things we can ever do, if you have doubts, about is this worth it? Am I going to make it? Is any of this even true? What God ultimately wants from you is to tell him about those doubts and to pursue them with integrity and honesty. Um, So pray your doubts. But the second thing we need to kind of take away from this idea of doubt is rethinking what it is to even have faith in the first place. Uh, Did you notice how in verse 6, I think it is, yeah, it says, and Abraham, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Um, it doesn't say Abram believed in the Lord. It says Abram believed. In other words, Abram engaged God as a person and believed him because of his character. Um, you know, he didn't believe in this like general idea of like, oh, there is a God who guides my life, but he said, I believe in this. I believe this God, and particularly his promise. I believe what he says. Um, And one of the best illustrations that there is for this idea of faith that I've probably said here numerous times, so if you've been around a while, you've definitely heard this, is the idea of walking on ice. Uh, When I was a kid, I used to love, me and my friends would go to ponds that were like shallow enough so that if you fell through the ice, you wouldn't like die, but we would always, you know, you'd get like wet up to your waist or something like that. We would always like on a you know, semi-freezing day, like dare each other, you know, who will walk out the farthest? And it would always end in someone like falling in. And, but it was this like, you know, really, you know, 
we like it was really fun for like teenage guys to do and um, you know as you think about that idea of walking on ice like we what you need to see is that whether or not the ice breaks has nothing to do with how you feel. You know, you could, like, so some guys would go, like, really, like, really confidently walking on the ice, bam, they're in. And other guys with fear and trepidation are, you know, waddling on the ice and not falling, falling in. And the reason is because the whole scenario is up to whether the ice is thick enough, right? Whether the ice can hold you. And so as you think about faith, don't think about, like, how I feel how do I feel toward God in this moment? But rather, can this God of the Bible hold me up? Can he or can't he? If he can, then step out and follow him. Um, So rethink faith in those terms. But what I want to turn to now is how can we be sure that God can be trusted? You know, like, this is just a story. How can we know that we're really secure? You know, like, what else does this have to offer us about, like, you know, how can I know that the ice is thick enough? And this is really cool. This is, so now we're looking at the God who can always come through, who always comes through. And there's a key question in this text, this Abram's uh, doubt in verse 8, where he says, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? This land that you're promising to me you know, you're promising to save the world through our, me and my descendants, and you're going to give us this land, but how am I to know? And it's what make, one of the things that makes it interesting is because Genesis was written to Abram's descendants, Israel, after they've been enslaved in Egypt, like this passage promises that will happen, as they wander in the wilderness toward this promised land that this passage is talking about, so the first audience of the book of Genesis is these descendants of Abram that are wandering for 40 years, not knowing what God is up to and struggling to believe. And it's really the same question that we ask all the time, right? As we go through life, like how, God, how can I know that you're worth it? How can I stake my life on what you say is true, this pro- these big promises you have, like somehow if I follow you, the outcome will be better than I can imagine. Uh, you know, because life feels pretty insecure. Like, like I was saying before, I got to get through college, and that's hard enough. Uh, you know, everything seems insecure in my Like there's a zillion things that feel insecure. And in the face of insecurity, what do you do? What are you tempted to do when you feel insecure? Um, you know... Have you guys ever ridden on an airplane where there's turbulence or something like that? Or almost every flight, like, you hit a bump. And what does everyone do when you hit the bump? Everyone goes like this, right? And they grab. Like, it's so funny when that happens. And you just see people that are, like, trying to act casual. But, like, you know, you hit that bump and everyone's just like that. Gripping the the armrests. What do you do when life feels insecure? What do you grab onto to make yourself feel secure in life? You know, what, when life gets crazy, what do you grab to feel secure? For some of us, it's something like money. You know, I'll check my bank account and make sure there's enough in there. Or, you know, how do I measure up to the people around me in my major? What are my job prospects like? Or for some of us, you know, we gravitate toward things like 
being obsessed with how we look or being obsessed with sex because it's like, you know, I can at least feel good for a moment and maybe that'll get me through. You know, at least maybe I won't feel alone and that'll be enough for me. And that's what's going on here. Abram over and over is tempted to find his security anywhere but in these promises of God. And that's what we're like. You know, lots of things, right? Don't a lot of things seem more secure than God? Doesn't having like a million dollars feel a lot more secure than God? So how can we know that he is the most secure? And the answer that this passage gives us is God's covenant. You know, the word covenant is God makes a covenant with Abram in this passage. And a covenant is, you know, we don't really use that word a lot today, but it's like a contract. It's like an oath. It's like a, it's essentially a binding promise and Uh, In verse 7, God initiates a covenant. And a covenant always started with introducing who was involved in the covenant. So God, in verse 7, says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans, like we looked at last week. And the next part of the covenant that's really weird is this stuff about the animal pieces. Anybody find that odd? Uh, And what this is, like, culturally, when you made a covenant, this is what you did. And what's going on there is, they're like slaughtering animals and dividing them in half and making like a pathway, you know, half an animal on each side, like that, a lot of blood involved, obviously. And what would happen is each party, to signify the oath, the contract, the covenant, they would walk through it. And the implication was, if I don't hold up my end of the promise, may I be torn apart like these animals that I'm walking through right now. You know, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, you know, so it's a really big oath, right? It's like, this is serious stuff. And here's the thing that you cannot miss about this passage. Only God passes through. God makes a covenant with Abram. And we see in in this kind of form of this like smoldering fire pot. God says, Abram, I'm going to pass through for you. You know, in a covenant, both sides of the contract would pass through and they would make this agreement and, and God says, I'll do it. And God say, what God is essentially saying is, I'll see it through. Even if it means me being torn apart for you. In other words, I'm going to take care of my end of the deal and your end of the deal. That's how serious I am about what I'm going to do with you and for you. And it points to Jesus. Like, this, is, this culminates with Easter, which coincidentally is this weekend, when God held up our end of the deal by being torn apart because we were not faithful to him. Because God's people are not faithful to God, but because God loves us, he says, you know, how can I continue with this people if I hold up their end of the deal too? So God, although he, he God, although God is always faithful, God takes the punishment of those who are faithless. And that's what's, that's what the animal parts are all about in this passage. 
they're ultimately about Jesus. And if you look ahead into the New Testament in the book of Romans, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about this passage, and he talks about Abraham, and he talks about faith credited as righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness is what you need to know that God is for you. You know, it means to be right with God in the same way that me and Jamik, if we had conflict, would work it out and we'd say, hey, are things right between us? And what we ultimately need is for things to be right between us and God. If, they're not, if things aren't right between me and the one who controls the universe and who made me, there is no security at all. Like, there is nothing, no amount of money that you have, no amount of, uh, you know, like, acknowledgement or success or anything that you have will make you feel secure. But this is saying that for Abram, who believed that God would deliver him, and for us, Abram looked ahead to a promise of deliverance. We look back to Jesus delivering us on the cross. For those of us who put our faith in him, our faith counts as righteousness. The trust we have in Jesus counts as righteousness, meaning that like, no matter how my day went today, things are right between me and God, not because I'm a good guy, but because God upheld my side of the covenant for me. He was torn apart so that I could have a right relationship with God. And if, that's, if you live in that truth, if you embrace that in faith, we become people, like life becomes a story where we know how the movie ends. I'm a, we had our Harry Potter house cup game night the other night. I'm a big Harry Potter fan as of like six or seven years ago. Read through all the books and one thing that was really fun is that I had seen the mo- some of the movies before but kind of didn't remember them. And so after I read each book, I would watch the movie of the book and it's so nice, like it's so relaxing to watch a movie that you know how it's going to end, right? It's just like, man, this is so, like I love this because there's all this tension, but I know how it's going to be resolved. And so I can like be at peace as I watch this movie. And what this is saying is that life can be like that. You know, not that there's not like insane ups and downs where you feel like all kinds of stress and turmoil and angst and trials and sorrow, but... What gets you through is that you know how it ends. You know it ends with you approaching the throne of God and saying, you know, and God saying, like, you're mine, not because of what you did, but because of what I did for you. Like, I made you mine. Now come and be with me. Think about what college would be like if you lived in that reality. Think about how much less anxious you might feel if you knew that the end of the story was like that. Think about how much more bold you would be in your pursuit of Jesus if you knew that. If you lived it. Think about how much more kind you would be if your idea of righteousness was in line with God's idea of righteousness. How, you know, no one could be righteous enough unless it was given by God himself. Um... One of the most famous missionaries ever is a guy named Jim Elliott, and he uh, went into the jungles of Ecuador. 
God called him to share his faith with tribes of people that would never know about him because their language, uh, you know, there was no Bible in their language. They had no, never been exposed to the gospel. And for Jim Elliott, this was news that was so good that it took him to the deepest parts of the jungle in Ecuador where he was ultimately killed by the people that he was trying to share Jesus with. And they found a journal of his, and a few years prior to when he was killed by these natives in Ecuador, he wrote one of the most amazing things ever written by a Christian. He wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Listen to that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. When you know the promises of God, like we're talking about, when you live in the reality of Jesus and his grace, you will become someone like that. You'll say, I don't care what I lose here. Because what I have to gain, like I know what I have to gain, and it's better than I can imagine. You know, Jim Elliott, he's this guy who's free in a way that no form of security could ever make you, right? The money, the prestige, the power. None of that can make you as secure as this man was, as he wrote. Uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, I want to close by having you think about this idea of the last words of Jesus. Um, do you know what the last words of Buddha were? Buddha, one of the great religious teachers of the world history, uh, his last words before he died were, never cease striving. wonder how that sounds to you. Never cease striving. And I want you to put it in contrast to the words that Jesus said as he died. It is finished. It is finished is so much better news. The covenant of God, God saying, I will be torn apart so that I can have you, is the best news that there is. And it will change your life if you embrace it. Uh, so, you know, whether it's your first time embracing it, I would encourage you to embrace that tonight. Or if you've been a Christian for a while, lean into that more and see where it takes you. Uh, the promise is too great to pass up. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, we uh, need your help to believe this stuff because we're like Abram and uh, for every ounce of faith we have there's many more ounces of doubt and just because we live in a world that is like that and our hearts are like that. Uh, so we need you. We thank you for this, the promise that uh, we can be with you forever. Uh, that you are our great reward uh, and we pray that you would give us the faith to believe it, uh, that we would find our security in being made right with you through Jesus and not in anything this world can offer. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.